You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Appreciate you guys listening as well. Uh, tonight we are going to be in the book of Mark. So if you would turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter number 8, and stand if you would. Out of reverence for the word. We're going to be reading in verses 34 through 38. Chapter 8, the book of Mark, verses 34 through 38. This is Jesus speaking in verse 34. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or... What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word and the power of your truth. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I also thank you, Lord, for your direct commandments. I, I thank you so much for each and every one that we can follow clearly, um, that we don't have to question. We pray that you work through us tonight. Open our, our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to what it is that we have to do in order to follow you. We pray that anything that's holding us back, Lord, whatever it is that we're, we're holding on to or whatever it is we think that we're going to gain, Lord, I, I pray that you help us to break that down and to move forward and, and hopefully commit to you completely, Lord, tonight. I just thank you for this message. I, I thank you for convicting me and opening my eyes to it. And I pray that you speak through me clearly and decisively, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> you can be seated. So according to the 2013 movie, Terms and Conditions May Apply, it would take the average American 180 hours per year to read all the terms and conditions he or she agrees to on websites and other agreements. It is no wonder that almost everyone checks the box indicating they agree with these lengthy documents filled with legal jargon. So many times I scroll and scroll and scroll until I hit the bottom and that accept button pops up because I don't have time to read it. <clears throat> the point of the movie, or in fact most of us <laughs> wouldn't understand any of that jargon unless we were um, in the legal realm, we, there's no way we'd understand all the jargon. That's why we have lawyers to help us understand it in, the, in that area. So the point of the movie is that we are often agreeing to things that could end up costing us that which we never expected. Many people who make a decision for Christ do not read the terms and conditions before saying yes. 
Then, when the road is difficult and Jesus calls us to suffer, we ask, why? We must count the cost before committing to follow him and follow, for it will be worth all you have to give and more than he will ever ask of you. And that was written by Jim L. Wilson and Larry Blair. But I thought, man, what a fitting example of how we often commit to something without knowing the consequences or what, what that looks like when we're committing. Mark 8, verse 34 indicates that though Jesus and his disciples had met in private just before this, the crowds were not far away. If you look through all of the book of Mark, he had a multitude following him on a continual basis. Even when he, he wanted to rest, they were there, and he still ministered to them anyway. Jesus summoned the people after he spoke to his, his 12 disciples privately, and he taught them what he taught his disciples. There is a price to pay for true discipleship. He knew that the crowds were following him only because of the miracles and that most of the people there were unwilling to pay the price to become true disciples. So what does Jesus say we are to do? It says it right there in verse 34. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever, that's not just the twelve, but whosoever, all of them in that, in that multitude, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus laid out three specific conditions for true discipleship, and that's the title of my message tonight, Conditions for True Discipleship. If you are to come after Jesus or follow him and be truly committed disciples of Jesus, you have to deny yourself. That is the first one. He said, deny himself. Let him deny himself. So what does it mean to deny yourself? In a negative sense, one must deny himself decisively, saying no to selfish, selfish interests and earthly securities. Deny, that word specifically, is a past tense imperative, meaning it is of vital importance. And we know this specifically because the word must is there. You must deny yourself. Denying yourself is not to deny your personality. We all have personalities, and that's some, sometimes a good thing for most people. That's what they like about us the most. But denying yourself, it's not necessarily your personality, or to die as a martyr, or to deny things, as in um, the asceticism, which is a voluntary abstention from satisfaction, like bodily needs, social needs, including food, drink, sleep, clothes, wealth, and social interactions. I mean, we all need these things to survive. We have to have food. We have to have drinks. We have to sleep. These are the basics, but there are, there, there are some, and even back in that time, the Colossian church was dealing with these false doctrines teaching you that you, you can't have any of those things. They would barely eat anything, and they would barely sleep, thinking that was what you need to do to be religious or to be close to God. But denying yourself, rather, is the denial of self. It's turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness and every attempt to orient our lives by the dictates of self-interests. <clears throat> Let me rephrase that. Denying self is not the same as self-denial. 
We practice self-denial when, for a good purpose, we occasionally give up things or activities. But we deny self, and this is what he's asking us to do, when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey his will. This once-for-all dedication is followed by a daily dying to self as we take up the cross and follow him, as he lists out in verse 34. So from the human point of view, we are losing ourselves. But from the divine, from God's point of view, we are finding ourselves when we, when we lose ourselves. <clears throat> when we live for Jesus, we become more like him. And this brings out our unique individuality. So instead of holding on to what we think is making us unique and all these things that we have around us, we let those things go and then all of a sudden, we, our unique individuality, who God created us to be, finally comes out and comes to the surface. So denying ourselves is only the negative side of the picture. <clears throat> and it's a very, from our point of view, a very negative side of the picture because it is so hard to let go of those things. It is <clears throat> the, the, the most convicting part about this whole section, the whole, the whole reason I think God laid it on my heart is because on a daily basis, I catch myself slipping back into things that I want to do rather than being in the word, rather than spending time with him, rather than letting him cultivate in me what he wants me to be. And I start to fall away slowly. So it is a daily thing. And so letting go of those things feels like a negative thing. And, and this is the negative side of the picture. But it's not done for its own sake alone. Colossians 3, 1 through 5 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So if you are to come after Jesus or follow him and be truly committed disciples of Jesus, you have to deny yourself, but then also don your cross. So this is the positive side, <clears throat> which... At first glance, taking up the cross does not sound like a positive thing. When you see Jesus carrying his cross, that was a horrific scene. And, and if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, it's not 100% accurate to what the Bible says, but it's a great representation of, of the horrific things he went through for us. So thinking of this, is, you wouldn't obviously think of it as a positive thing, but it is. One must take up his cross, decisively take up, which is also a past tense imperative, is saying yes to God's will and way. Cross-bearing was not an established Jewish metaphor, but the meaning was appropriate in Roman-occupied Palestine, so they understood what it meant to take up the cross. It brought to mind the sight of a condemned man who was forced to demonstrate his submission to Rome by carrying part of his cross through the city to his place of execution. So, 
to take up one's cross was to demonstrate publicly one's submission. This is where the positive starts to come in, into play as a follower of Jesus. To demonstrate publicly one's submission and obedience to the authority against which he had previously rebelled. So before we were saved, we were rebelling against Jesus and his promises until that moment when we realized our need for him and we surrendered to him. So to take up the cross is to submit wholly and completely in obedience to God. <laughs> so that's the positive. There's so many positives that come when we take up our cross. <clears throat> William Law put it this way, devotion is a life given to God. Devotion signifies a life given or devoted to God. He, therefore, is the devout man who lives no longer to his own will or the way and spirit of the world, but to the sole will of God, who considers God in everything, who serves God in everything, who makes all the parts of his common life parts of piety by doing everything in the name of God and under such rules are, are, as are conformable to his glory. <clears throat> what a great way to put that. <laughs> Jesus' submission to God's will is the proper response to God's claims over our claims. It's God's will before ours, <clears throat> and Jesus was the perfect example of that. And he bore his own cross and died on the cross for our sins. For him, it meant death on the cross. Those who follow Jesus must take up their cross, not Jesus' cross. That's not what he was talking about. It's our own cross, meaning whatever comes to us and God's will as a follower of Jesus. We need to bear the weight of that <clears throat> because that's his will for our life, and there's no better place. I know I've said this many times, but it's, it's something I take to heart. It, there is no better place, no matter how hard or how difficult it is, than being in the center of God's will because then we at least have his protection and we're, we're following where he wants us to go and he will see us through it. So <clears throat> this does not mean suffering necessarily as Jesus did or being crucified as he was, nor does it mean bearing life's troubles without showing any feelings or complaining. Sometimes that's what we need to do <laughs> to make a breakthrough, is to, to have that emotion come through, and not necessarily complaining, but saying something about it and, and talking to people about it. But rather, it's the obedience to God's will as revealed in his word, accepting the consequences without reservations for Jesus' sake and the gospel. Look at verse 35. He said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, that's Jesus, and the gospels, the same shall save it. For some, this indicates physical suffering and even death, as history has demonstrated time and time again through the scriptures. If you are to come after Jesus, or follow him and be truly committed disciples, you will suffer. <clears throat> you have to deny yourself, don your cross, but also daily follow Jesus. That was his final point in verse 34. In Jesus' words, follow me, follow, is a present imperative. So before it was past tense, now it's a present imperative. So let him keep following me daily. This is a continual thing. John 8, 31 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. 
So when following Jesus, we have to continually say no to self-interests and say yes to God. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Philippians 3, 7 through 11, he wrote, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. So he saw it as a, instead of gaining the world, it was a loss for Jesus. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I love reading what Paul writes because, man, he had a passion for, for seeking God. In Philippians, he said... I want to, he was striving for that, that goal. He, w- he was running a race, and he wanted to be victorious, and he did not care what was to the left or right of him. He had one goal in mind, no matter how much suffering that meant. It was all for Jesus and whatever he called him to do, and that's the mindset we need to have. Now, Jesus, in verse 34 and 35, <clears throat> specifically verse 34, lays it out for us, you know, needing to deny ourselves don our cross and daily follow Jesus but he goes even more in detail in verses 35 through 38 where he explains the requirements of verse 34 focusing on our entrance into discipleship leaving our old allegiance to this life which was represented by the multitude and pledging allegiance to Jesus as a disciple I didn't include the scripture in here but if you read through those Gospels, at, at this pinnacle moment where he calls the Twelve to follow him, um, as we explained in, in the um, discipleship Sunday school lessons, so many of that crowd walked away after this. <laughs> they were like, we don't want anything to do with it, because he laid out, this is what's gonna, what it's going to look like. This is the suffering you're going to endure, and you're going to have to take up the cross if you're going to follow me. And most people don't want to do that. Look at verse 35. He said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So in a seemingly absurd, self-contradictory way, a person who wants to save his life is going to lose it. <laughs> it's so contrary to how we think on this planet. If, if we want to save our life, we pull out the guns, we pull out whatever's necessary to save ourselves. We'll run away from something if we have to. We'll, we'll do whatever's necessary to save our life. But if, we're, if we try to save our lives, we're going to lose it. But a person who loses his life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel will save it. John wrote it this way. In John chapter 12, verse 25 through 26, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Note here, though, the motivation for true discipleship. This is the the whole focus of the sermon. For my sake and the gospels. Not multiple gospels, but look at the apostrophe S there. But for the sake of the gospel. 
To lose yourself is not an act of desperation, it is an act of devotion. But we do not stop there. Personal devotion should lead to practical duty, meaning the sharing of the gospel with a lost world. For my sake, those words could lead to selfish religious isolationism if we were just to focus on, on for Jesus only. But he included and the gospels to, to bring a balance to that statement because we live for Jesus and we live for others. Jesus came not to destroy but to save those that are lost, right? So it should be our same goal to share the gospel. Jesus made a, a word play here on the terms lose and the word life, which in the Greek is psyche. The psyche, on, on one hand, is one's natural physical life, but it also refers to one's true self, the essential person that goes beyond the world. It's, it's our essence, our spirit. So in, in Mark 36, he goes on to say, though, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? To lose his life. Look at also what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. He said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. This is the same word, psyche. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. <clears throat> so that, that's a picture of, of um, Satan right there and his ability to keep us from hearing the good news. But it's our obligation to share that good news. Um, but discipleship here is a matter of profit and loss. That's why he uses that, that lose and save and save and lose phrasing there. And it's a question of whether we will waste our lives. He said it by gain the whole world. That's wasting our lives or invest our lives. Lose his life for Jesus' sake and the gospels. But even worse, in verse 36 and 37, he gives, Jesus gives us a severe warning. He said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing we can give in exchange for our soul. And once we have spent our lives, once we've wasted our lives to all the fleeting things that this world has to offer, we can't buy our life back. <laughs> that that is such a, a profound thing to think about, especially for all those in this world that we see on a daily basis, especially the people, not everybody that I work with, I know there are some that are saved, but I know there are some that go out and they talk all day about all the stuff they've done over the weekend. And I'm just like, you are wasting your life. Like you don't even understand what you're missing out on and, and they're, they're just seeking all the, the temporal things that they think are going to fix the void that's in their life, but we need, we need to share the good news with them, and we need to be an example for them. But remember, Jesus here was instructing his disciples. These were men who had already confessed him as the Son of God. He was not telling them, he's not telling us how to be saved here and how to go to heaven, but how to save their lives and make the most of the opportunities they have on earth. That, that right there, it is a message of, of how we can 
not gain the world, but gain a purpose, gain a meaning, gaining ourselves here. We're not losing anything by giving up. If we just come up here and surrender, if we, we give it up, we're actually gaining so much more eternally than we are gaining in this world or losing in this world. The balance is ridiculous. No matter how much we've had on this, this planet, if you put what God's offering on the scale and what we're getting from the world, there is no comparison. So losing your soul is, is the equivalent of wasting your life, missing the great opportunities God gives you to make your life count, to make it matter. You may gain the world and be a success in the eyes of men and yet have nothing to show for your life when you stand before God. What does God care? If we were to bring, think of, think of Babylon, for instance. They were the, the most wealthy nation on the planet. They were revered and feared by the entire world. And yet, it was just <laughs> rubbish and, and just taken away from Nebuchadnezzar. God was like, no. <laughs> you think you've accomplished this? That has nothing to do with it. And he just took it all away and then restored him, showing him that it was all to do with God. So what God has to offer is, is far more <laughs> than what this world's ever going to offer, no matter how much we think we have gained or what, what we brought to the table. It's nothing compared to what God's bringing. So let me ask you this. Is there any reward for the person who is a true disciple? I think I've already made it clear. But yes, there is. He or she, as a disciple, becomes more like Jesus Christ and one day shares in his glory. Satan promises us glory, but in the end, we receive suffering because of, of following Satan. Satan promised Jesus this when he was tempted in the wilderness. Luke 4, 6 through 8, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it, or I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, and I love this, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship thy Lord, or the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Yes, God promises us suffering. Temporarily. <laughs> but in the end, that suffering is transformed into glory. If we acknowledge Christ and live for him, he will one day acknowledge us and share his glory with us. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him. In other words, if we have to suffer, let it be, that we may be also glorified together. Structurally speaking, Verse 38 parallels and complements verse 35 by carrying the thought to its ultimate consequence. He, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, in other words, denying Jesus, and of my words in this adulterous, spiritually unfaithful, and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. I'm just going to pause right there. Do we really want that to be what's said of us? <laughs> Do we want... Jesus, to be ashamed of us? No. So, so listen to this. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. If we're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us. When he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, 
To be ashamed of Jesus is essentially to reject him and to, re and to try to hold on to the allegiance to this generation because of unbelief in what he has to offer and fear of what the world is going to say and the fact that we, we have this assumption that they're not going to approve of, of our lifestyle or our choice to follow God. Jesus is, will be ashamed of his disciples that have wasted their lives in pursuit of worldly gain. But when Jesus comes in glory as the awesome judge that he is, all those that have not been saved, this whole message has been those that have already been saved and, and are choosing to be dis true disciples of God. But there is a, a flip side to this. If you are not saved, all those that have not been saved but say they are, his disciples, he will refuse to claim those as his own. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. Wherefore, by the fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then in Luke chapter 13, <clears throat> and when through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, this is Luke 13, 22, and then said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are, or whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when ye see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out, and they shall come from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And, and behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. <clears throat> Not only that, though, they will experience shame. Romans 10, 11, for the, for the scripture saith, whosoever or they, yes, they will also experience shame. <clears throat> because of those who truly believe, Scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. True commitment to Jesus Christ is seen in love and obedience to him, and we should not be ashamed of that. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That means the entire world. It's not just the, the select few in, in the Jewish nation. No, it's all the world. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. 
and will manifest myself to him. Uh, Sonia, if you could come up. I, I'm going to call all of you to commit tonight. We're at whatever stage you're in, even if it's a, a recommitment, it's a daily following Jesus, remember. It's, it's one thing to read this passage, and it's one thing to listen to this sermon, but can you, you join me in this prayer that I'm about to pray? You don't have to pray this out loud, but pray something like this. And I found this prayer, and I thought, man, what a great prayer this is. It says, To you, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, my Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier, I give up myself entirely. May I no longer serve myself but you all the days of my life. I give you my understanding. May it be my only care to know you, your perfections, your works, and your will. Let all things else be as dung and garbage unto me for the excellency of this knowledge. And let me silence all reasonings against whatever you teach me, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. I give you my will. May I have no will of my own. Whatever you will, may I will, and that only. May I will your glory in all things as you do, and make that my end in everything. May I ever say with the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. May I delight to do your will, O God, and rejoice to suffer it. Whatever threatens me, let me say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And whatever befalls me, let me give thanks, since it is your will concerning me. I give you my affections. Dispose of them all. Be my love, my fear, my joy, and my nothing, or and may nothing have any share in them, but, in, but with respect to you and for your sake. What you love, may I love. What you hate, may I hate. And that in such measures as you are pleased to prescribe me. I give you my body. May I glorify you with it and preserve it wholly, fit for you, O God, to dwell in. May I neither indulge it nor use it too much rigor toward it, but keep it as far as in me lies healthy, vigorous, and active, and fit to do all manner of service which you shall call for. I give you my worldly goods. May I prize them and use them only for you. May I faithfully restore to you in the poor all you have entrusted with me above the necessaries of life and be content to part with them too whenever you, my Lord, shall require them at my hands. I give you my credit and reputation. May I never value it, but only in respect of you, nor endeavor to maintain it, but as it may do you service and advance your honor in the world. I give you myself and my all. Let me look upon myself to be nothing and to have nothing out of you. But the sole disposer and governor of myself and all be my portion and my all. Amen. We become children of God by trusting Christ and confessing him to be the son of God who died for us on the cross and rose again. We become disciples of Jesus Christ by surrendering our all to him, taking up our cross and following him. 
If we live for ourselves, we lose ourselves, and he is ashamed of us. But if we live for Christ, we save our lives and glorify him. Discipleship saves us from the tragedy of a wasted life. Yes, there is suffering in taking up a cross to follow Jesus, but that suffering always leads to glory. That's all I have for tonight. Do we have any questions or comments? It's been a very convicting time when he laid this on my heart because I constantly see how far I've, I've gone from when he first called me. <laughs> like, in, in both a positive and a negative direction, I, I'm constantly trying to hold on to these worldly attachments. But it's been, when, when, I, when he laid this on my heart, I, I realized that it was specifically to me, and I, and I hope it's to some of you as well, but I just... I pray I'm not wasting my life. I want it to be for him. I want it to be for my children, for my wife, and not about me. Because it's so easy to fall into the idea that, you know, I had a day off from, from church this week or, or whatever. I was traveling, and then, oh, I can skip the next one. Or I don't need to read my Bible today. I've got something i got to do. And then it just trickles from there. <laughs> like, get in the Word. Commit to him daily. Amen. Put on the, take, hold, carry your cross. <laughs> that means be obedient to him and his will for our lives.